Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you today. I want to ask you, if you would, uh, to pray for Amy and I and uh, Joey and Lori Young. Uh, We leave in the morning uh, to go to Uganda, and uh, then we'll go on to Kenya, uh, teaching pastors over there. One of the great things about pioneer evangelism that we're doing in East Africa is they're starting new churches with new pastors. And so they're recruiting uh, you know, thousands of new pastors to start thousands of new churches. But these guys don't get a lot of teaching and training. And so uh, we, we go in, we take the material that I've taught y'all, which is in Ephesians and Romans, and it's translated in their language. And so we'll go in and teach those pastors. So we're going to be doing that. We leave in the morning to fly. We'll get there uh, 10 o'clock Tuesday. So it's a two-day deal. Um, and then we'll start teaching on Wednesday. But uh, pray for us. Uh, we'll be back uh, uh, the 17th of February. Um, but we're going to be out. Just pray for safety. There's a little bit of unrest in Kenya. Uh, there's a lot of things to get sick with in Africa. But more than that, pray that we would be effective and that we would build a new generation of pastors over there who can uh, rightly divide the word of truth. Uh, speaking of leadership, I came across this quote by Tom Landry. He said, I have a job to do that's not very complicated, but it's often difficult to get a group of men to do what they don't want to do so that they can achieve the one thing they've wanted all their lives. Now, that's true not only of coaches, but I think it's true of every area of leadership. Moms and dads, what are you doing? Well, you're trying to get these little dictators to do what they hate so that they can live what they love, right? It uh, doesn't matter what business you're in, if you're an electrical supply company or if you're in a, a plumbing wholesale company or you're, a, you're a, a, a teacher in a classroom or you're a, a corporate executive or you're a mid-level manager at Conoco, it doesn't matter. All of it's the same. Your, ta- your task as leadership is to get a group of people to do what they don't necessarily want to do so they can achieve the very thing they've always wanted. And that's really what leadership is at its core. And that's what every leadership is, every leader is about. But there's a second side to that that we don't always talk about. And that's not just the leadership jazz, but it's the followership jazz. Because every leader needs followers. And being a good follower is just as important as being a good leader. In fact, I would say this, every strong organization has both good leaders and good followers. Uh, There are some people who just never get that. They never really see their responsibility in it. They always feel like it's someone else's fault. Someone else has made my life difficult. Someone else has made me miserable. And, uh, you know, it's like the guy that said, well, I got fired again. And his friend said, well, isn't that like the sixth job in four years? Yeah, I guess I just can't get a good boss, you know. Or uh, my wife left me again. Well, isn't that like your fifth wife? Yeah, I guess I'm just a bad picker, you know. There are people that way. Look, the thing that makes this church great is the followers, not necessarily the leaders. We've got great people in this church. I've got about, uh, our church has about 150, 160 people right now. 
at a marriage retreat up in Arkansas this morning. They're wrapping it up. And the leader of that retreat texted me and said, these are incredible people. And I, I was like, yeah, right. I mean, it, it's, it's amazing what you guys have been willing to do. Well, that's indicative of a strong church. You know, a lot of churches think if we could just get the right pastor, then we're going to just do great. And I'm like, no, uh, you can get, a, you can get a, a great pastor and you're going to be exactly what you've always been because you're not willing to follow. You're not good followers. I was doing a case study uh, with my doctoral work at Dallas Seminary, and I did a case study of Irving Bible Church. In the 19, early 1970s, they had a pastor there named Chuck Swindoll. And you may or may not know about Swindoll. He had, today he has an international ministry that's literally around the globe. They just invited him into China. Uh, it's called Insight for Living. He's just enormously well-known. No pastor that I know of has had a greater influence over me personally than Swindoll. And Swindoll was the pastor of that church, late 60s, early 70s, I don't remember. And they fired him. He said, man, Chuck was preaching. He's such an extraordinary preacher. He said the place was packed. They had standing room only. He said, but Chuck didn't go to the, the, the hospitals enough and visit the sick enough. And so the people got frustrated with that. And they were like, we need somebody that'll take care of us, not just teach. And so consequently, they let him. And I'm talking to the head of their elders at the time. He's also the head of the FAA over Dallas. And we're, we're uh, talking about this. And he goes, can you imagine? We've got Chuck Swindoll, but they wanted somebody to visit the hospitals. We could have gotten anybody to visit the hospital. We could have visited the hospitals. But that's the way it is when it comes to leadership. Um, I know football programs that are like, well, we need a new coach. We need a new coach. We need, and then they have the same results year after year, year after year. It's not until the organization itself realizes we've got a problem. You know, that same church, Irving Bible Church, eventually said, maybe, maybe we're the problem. They changed their following strategy. A guy comes in named Danny McQuitty, and that church goes from about 500 to about 5,000 almost overnight. It's extraordinary how those things change. We see it in, uh, in football with uh, Doug Peterson down at Jacksonville. You know, they win three last year, and then uh, Doug comes in, changes the whole culture. Everybody's ready to go. Everybody's ready to do something new, and all of a sudden, things just begin to spark. Well, that's not just true in sporting stuff and churches. It's true across the board. And so we need good leaders, we need good followers, and here's the interesting thing. All of us throughout our lives do a bit of both. There are times when you're a leader. You're like, I'm not really a leader. I mean, I don't really have that kind of job. I'm not talking about your job. At the end of the day, leadership is influence. And everybody is influencing somebody. You're influencing someone. And your leadership style is creating that influence, whether it's in the home or whether it's in a, uh, informal relationships or maybe it's at the job or somewhere else. Every one of us at some point is engaged in some aspect of leadership because we're influencing people. And we need to be good at that. But at the same time, every one of us is a follower too. I mean, there are times when I'm a leader, but there are other times when I'm a follower. And all of us who are in Christ are following Christ, right? So every leader is a follower, and I need to be a better follower. Well, I'm thinking about these things, and I'm, I'm looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 8, which is really what got me thinking about it, because as I pick up the book and I'm looking at it, I realize in verse 1 it says, uh, who is a wise person 
who knows the solution to a problem. And so immediately I thought, well, he's talking about leadership. But then I kept reading in verses 2 through 4 talk about obeying the king. And so I was like, well, no, maybe he's talking about followers. And then I came back around to uh, verses 6 through 9, and I realized, wait, this passage is also about leading again. And what I realized was Solomon was talking about how to build great organizations. And what every great organization needs is great leaders and great followers. It's both. And every one of us needs that in our own life as well, because every one of us is engaged in that in some level. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about being a follower and a leader. Let's start with being a follower. For those under authority, now Solomon, of course, is talking about government here, but the principles apply to every phase of leadership, whether it's to the family, whether it's to your job, uh, whether it's to the government, whether it's as a citizen of the country or a citizen of of the kingdom of God, it doesn't matter. It it all applies uh, to those who are under authority. And he gives three compelling reasons to obey authority. First, I become a good follower because I promise to follow. Look at verse 2. I say, keep the command of the king. Now, look, here's the reason. Because of the oath before God. As a member of this nation, we made an oath. Ray Stedman said, if you're a naturalized citizen, you actually took an oath like that when you became a citizen. If you're a natural-born citizen, as most of us are, You reflected that oath whenever you said the Pledge of Allegiance. I don't know if you thought about this, but I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America is an oath. And I'm taking that oath before my country to be the kind of citizen that will follow the leadership of my... You know, what's weird to me is there are actually schools in our country right now who no longer require that of the children to recite the Pledge of Allegiance. And I I think, what's going to happen to our country when they don't see themselves as taking an oath to to follow the lead of our leaders? And I'll tell you what's going to happen. Every man's going to do whatever seems right in his own eyes. And we're going to see our country turn as um, I feel like I'm watching America morph into the book of Judges, where it says every man did whatever seemed right in his own eyes. Because we've, we've forgotten that we took an oath, a vow. If you sign a contract for a job or give your promise, then you're obliged to be a good follower within the organization. In marriage, it's the same way. Husbands, it says submit therefore one to another. That's a commitment. When I, when I stood at that altar and made that commitment, I made a vow to Amy that I was going to follow her leadership and she was going to follow mine. Because we're going to submit to one another in the fear of the Lord, which means we're going to submit differently. She's going to submit one way and I'm going to submit another thing. She's going she's to respect me and, and the leadership position I'm in and I'm going to die for her. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. How much did he love the church? He loved the church enough to die for it. And when we forget that oath, we begin to make it all about us and we become in our hearts unwilling to follow. I want to be a good follower uh, because I took an oath. But secondly, I want to be a good follower because it's painful not to follow. (laughs) Look at verse 3. Don't be in a hurry to leave him. That's the king. So don't go off on your own. Don't start a revolt. Don't join in an evil matter. Same thing. For he'll do whatever he pleases. Yikes. Since the word of the king is authoritative, who will say to him, what are you doing? You see, there are consequences of being a bad follower. 
Governments make laws. When we break the law, we experience the pain. I didn't ask if I'd tell this story, so I'm probably in trouble. Um, Amy got a ticket for speeding in Fenton, Louisiana. I know what you're thinking. Where's Fenton, Louisiana? Yeah, right? Fenton, Louisiana is about halfway between uh, Kinder and I-10 going down 165. You're like, wait, I've been down that road. I don't remember a town there. Well, that's because there's not really a town there. There's a couple of uh, grain silos, and there's, uh, there's an old cemetery, and there's a Dollar General store, and there's a grove of trees and one really committed police officer. <laughs> and for some reason, that's beyond me, the state of Louisiana has allowed them to drop the speed limit from 65 to 55, about a mile of section of that highway in a place called Fenton, Louisiana. And Amy meant to turn right in Kinder going home to Texas, and she missed her turn. She wasn't thinking. She's driving 70. She rolls through Fenton, and 70 and a 55 in Fenton is $300. Seems a little steep. They said, you can pay it online. So I said, let's just pay it. I go online to pay it. The fee to pay it online is $125. I was expecting like $3. So we'll just mail them a check. Now, look, I can just get mad about this, and I can go, speed traps, and why do they do it? And I can compare Louisiana to Texas and all that stuff, and all that's going to do is make everybody around me mad. And I can just I can rant and rave. But at the end of the day, what's going to happen? I'm going to pay this municipality, the village of Fenton, $300. Why? Because they have the authority to make me. That's the end of the day. And sometimes we respond to authority because authority has authority. And, as, and, and you need to teach your kids this. They respond to you simply because you are their parent. And you don't have to argue and negotiate. And when they get to school, they'll begin to understand authority. And that helps them all the way down through life. Those in authority are given authority uh, to demand that I do what they, what they uh, say I need to do in that regard. But there's a better way. I want to be a good follower because God uses authority. And this is really the main reason. Look at verse 5. He who keeps a royal command experiences no trouble. For a wise heart knows the proper time and procedure. In other words, God blesses followers, and, and God wants us to be good followers. Uh, how many times did Jesus say, follow me? You know, he runs into the Matthew, I mean, not Matthew, Peter, James, and John at Sea of Galilee. Uh, they're cleaning out their nets. He says, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. He says, uh, if anybody would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow. And John, he says, you know, I'm the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice. And what do they do? They follow so there's something about the heart of God that he desires us to follow. And one of the ways that we follow him is through following authority. Look at Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders. I'm like, wait a second. Do you know who their leaders were? Roman emperors. There was not a more rotten group of leaders ever assembled in the history of the world than Roman emperors. Yet... That's who they said to obey and submit to them. Now, here's why. Look at this. This is the 
craziest part, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. God places leadership in our life to watch over our soul. And when you submit to them, you demonstrate trust in him. Matthew and Luke both tell the story of the centurion servant. You know, do you know that story? There was a centurion and he was a, he was a really good guy. He was uh, what they would call in those days a God-fearer. He wasn't Jewish, but he would go to the synagogue. He gave a lot of money to the synagogue. And he had this servant that he really loved that got deathly ill. So he goes to Jesus and he says, my servant, could you heal my servant? And Jesus is like, yeah, I'll heal your servant. Kind of an unusual thing because he's a non-Jew and Jesus came first to the Jews, right? But he's going to go heal this centurion servant. And, uh, and so he starts to go that way and the, and the centurion goes, wait, whoa, 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 wait a minute, Jesus. My house isn't worthy of your presence. You don't have to go into my house. I'm a man of authority. And I speak the word and that guy goes and I speak that word and that guy stays. So I understand there's a connection between authority and the word. If I speak the word, it's as if it were done. And I believe that if you'll just speak the word, my servant will be healed. And that's exactly what happened. But then Jesus said something that was unusual in Luke chapter 7. Verse 9, he, it, the Bible says, Jesus was amazed. Jesus was amazed. Wouldn't it be cool to live your life with such outrageous faith that your faith amazed? I, how hard would it be to amaze Jesus? I mean, he created everything. He did so many amazing things. How do you amaze him? But listen to what he says. I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. So there's this direct connection between my willingness to follow God by obeying the authority that's over me and the faith that I have in God himself because they have been assigned to keep watch over my soul. Are you tracking with me? Now, look, this doesn't mean that we blindly obey everything the authority says. You think with discernment. If the situation is abusive, you get safe. I mean, look at the disciples in the New Testament. They were persecuted for their faith. They didn't search out persecution. And when they were persecuted, they did everything they could to go somewhere else. They got out of the situation. And if you're in an abusive situation under a boss or a, a husband or a wife or whatever it is, a dad, a mom, you need to get safe. I'm not saying just whatever, whatever they say. And if the authority is in error, then clearly you can humbly challenge them because a wise leader wants to hear from their people. Hey, uh, if you do this, there's some unintended consequences. You might think, oh, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. And if the authority demands you to do something Christ forbids or if the authority forbids something Christ commands, then you follow Jesus. Remember, they hauled Peter in front of the Sanhedrin and they said, stop preaching Jesus. And Peter said, you tell me, do I listen to men or do I listen to God? Because God told me to speak Jesus, so I'm going to keep preaching Jesus. So there are obviously exceptions to this, but by and large, when authority speaks, we follow because there's grace and humility in that, right? And we can't have great organizations without great followers, we can't have a great nation. Man, we live in a nation of, you know, everybody wants to be their own autonomous, individual, isolated, personal dictator. You can't create society like that. 
And so you yield your rights for the good of the whole. That's true in families and business job everywhere. That's for those under authority. Let's talk for a minute about those in authority. You see, I think leadership is rare, but there are five traits that always seem to show up. The first is a good leader. Here's here's what it takes. A good leader is wise. Verse one, who is like a wise man and who knows the interpretation of a matter? And that word interpretation there, uh, understanding the implications. It's not just seeing the problem from one angle. You know, the problem is we often only view a thing from one angle. One wise man said, if the only tool you have is a hammer, you'll see every problem as a nail. But a wise leader understands, it's, it's about the word understanding, that he understands the implications and the broader picture, and he has the broader goal in mind. It's, it's, he may not always know the how-to, but he always knows the why. That's, that's wisdom of leadership, and that wisdom comes from an understanding. of What's the Bible saying? Proverbs, the beginning of knowledge, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And so that's where it starts. That's why men of character are the best leaders. And by the way, we have at times sacrificed the principle of character to get the leader that will follow our policies. That's a disastrous idea. A good leader is influential. Look, it it says a man's wisdom illumines him and causes his stern face to beam. I love that. Wisdom here is the wisdom that comes from the Lord. It's biblical wisdom is illuminating. Uh, Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Notice that the wisdom brightens his appearance and softens his harsh countenance. It changes his face. Is what I would say. It turns that frown upside down. It gives him a winsome face. Gives him a, a winsome appearance. He has a yes face. You know, there's just something about a guy that's confident in leadership that you can trust and you can believe in and you can follow. Uh, there are some guys who, who uh, are so insecure in leadership that they pretend and compete because they don't really know what they're supposed to be doing and they try to hide that through manipulation and other methods. But a really confident guy has that yes face. It says it softens his hard countenance which I think is interesting because we often think of wise people as hard and unapproachable, but the way of wisdom is the way of joy. His hard face turns soft. Thalic said, lines of laughter are as much marks of faith as are the lines of care and seriousness. Wisdom lights you up, makes you appealing. And that's what influences people. People want to be around you. You can't influence people if they don't want to be around you. You know, I've always noticed this about Jesus. You know, in John 2, it tells the story of Jesus going to the wedding, the wedding feast of Cana. Uh, Are you familiar with that story? He goes to Cana, he's there, and they run out of wine. You know, as Baptists, they obviously ran out of grape juice, right? It was wine. Mary comes to him. You guys, whatever he tells you to do, do. And Jesus is like, Mom, it's not time yet. But he turns the water into wine, right? You've heard that. But Max Lucado asked an interesting question that I never thought of. He said, what was Jesus doing at the wedding? And I was like, well, I don't know. Maybe he, was, maybe he was related. I don't know. Who knows? But it's a great question, isn't it? Why was Jesus at a party? And the only answer is because they invited him. So then the next question Lucado asked is, why did they invite him? And the obvious answer is because they wanted him to be there. 
He was holy, but he wasn't holier than thou. He was approachable, winsome, charismatic, influential. Did you ever notice how many people always wanted to be around Jesus? We have this idea that Jesus is somebody that we would probably prefer not to hang out with, when in reality, everybody wanted to hang out with him because he was magnetic, and that made him influential. Good leaders are that way. They're influencers. A good leader is sympathetic. Since the word of the king is authoritative, who will say to him, what are you doing? Now, that's a word of warning to the followers, but it's also a powerful reminder to leaders. The people you lead are at the mercy of your leadership. You know, wise leaders are aware of the fact that the people cannot resist them. So rather than using the position as a power trip, they're doubly careful to make sure that those people are heard and understood. They feel the weight of that responsibility. Man, it is a terrible thing to put a person in a position of power who lacks the ability to empathize. It's like going on a long drive with a bad driver. And you're stuck in that car and you can't do anything. And he just makes one bad decision after another and life is miserable. And yet it seems like there are certain people who always find their way into positions of authority that have that attitude. My daughter-in-law got married to my, my son back in October, and so it was time to change the name, you know. So she goes down to the courthouse, name change place, wherever that is, and she's got her birth certificate and her marriage license, and hey, I need to change my name. They're like, okay, here's your new name. Uh, and so her last name is now Di, officially, Right? So then she says, well, I got to change my name on my social security card. So she takes her, her uh, brand new name change certificate, her uh, wedding license, and her birth certificate to social security. They're like, got you down, give you a new card, new name, all that's good. And then she goes to the DMV. <laughs> she takes her little paper number. She waits a half a day. She finally gets to that little booth, puts all her stuff out. She's got her wedding license, her social security card, her new name certificate that she's got this name, uh, you know, half a dozen proof of, of living in Louisiana, uh, her Arkansas driver's license to prove she could drive, uh, everything except she forgot her birth certificate. The guy looks at her and says, no birth certificate, come back tomorrow. She's like, but wait, 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 wait. You know, you're trying to negotiate with these guys. Wait, 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 wait. I've been half a day here. I'm invested. What if we said, for sake of argument, that uh, the fact that I have a social security number proves I have a birth certificate because I had to have a birth certificate to get my social security number? And what if uh, my name change, see, they saw my birth certificate, so isn't that good enough that I've got a name change, proves I've got, and the fact that I'm here and living means that I was born. Um, so, yeah, will that not work? Come back tomorrow. She's like, well, uh, 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 I just live around the corner. Can I run, get it real quick and come back? You won't get back in time, we'll be closed. Come back tomorrow. Next. How frustrating is it to live with people like that? And yet there are people like that. You know what we tell the guys all the time? It's not about enforcing rules. It's about helping people solve their problems. Find a way to say yes. Anybody can say no. And a wise leader is sympathetic of the position people are in. It's not just a power trip. And then a good leader is insightful. 
Verse 5, for a wise heart knows the proper time and procedure. For there's a proper time and procedure for every delight through a man's trouble, though a man's trouble is heavy upon him. There's a proper time and procedure. Strong leaders have a good sense of judgment. They not only know what to do, they know when to do it. Strong leaders know what to do and when to do it. Sometimes you strike while the iron is hot, seize the opportunity. Sometimes you wait for the time to mature. You know, we always say the early bird gets the worm, right? Yeah, but what's the other saying? The second mouse gets the cheese. And so as a leader, you think through the implications, not only of what your procedure is, but what your timing is. And then the last thing is a good leader is humble. Verse 7, if no one knows what will happen, who can tell him when it will happen? In other words, if I don't know what God's doing, how can I know when He's going to do it? And so you always leave yourself the understanding that I'm serving a boss that's notoriously unpredictable, and I'm not always going to have the answer. This is where humility comes in. They know their limitations. Look at verse 8. No man has authority to restrain the wind with the wind or authority over the day of his death. There's no discharge in the time of war, and evil will not deliver those who practice it. No man has authority to, uh, to restrain the wind with the wind. You know, that could mean I can't control the weather. I get that a lot. You know, as a pastor, I'll be sitting at a football game. It's pouring down rain. People around me are like, preacher, can't you do something about this rain? I'm always like, man, I'm in sales, not management, you know. But there's another side to this. You can't restrain the wind with the wind. That Hebrew word for wind was ruach. And it meant not only wind, but wind, spirit, and breath. When God created Adam out of the dirt, he breathed ruach. He breathed the ruach, the breath of life in the man, and man came alive. And so it's more than just wind. It's the breath of God. It's the movement of the Spirit of God. In the New Testament, the word is pneuma. It's where we get the word pneumatic, spirit, wind, and breath. And when we come to faith in Christ and we give our lives to Christ, the Spirit breathes that spiritual breath of life into us and makes us come alive. But the Spirit is always moving in His own way. And Jesus said, you don't know where He's been. You don't know where He's going. That's the Spirit. And so here it says, no man can restrain the wind, the ruach. No one can restrain the Spirit, the breath of God, with the breath. And it could be that he's saying nobody can restrain the spiritual breath of God with the breath of man. In other words, my words can't control the spirit. There's no magic formula to make God do what I want him to do. And I can't control death. Do you see what he says there? No man uh, has the authority to control his own death. Um, There are factors beyond our control. And evil will not deliver those who practice it. Humility keeps a leader aware of his limitations because if you're not aware of your limitations, you're going to focus on control and you're going to think you can control everything. And when things don't go your way, in order to maintain control, you'll begin to manipulate. And the minute you begin to manipulate, you compromise and you begin to practice evil. And he says, evil will not deliver those who practice it. If I try to control through compromise, then one day the compromise will control me. And we see this happen all the time. And so Solomon closes with a sad warning. All this I have seen and applied my mind to every deed that has been done under the sun, wherein a man has exercised authority uh, over another man to his hurt. And who hadn't been in that situation? Great organizations uh, require two things. They require great leaders 
and they require great followers. So let me ask you, what kind of follower are you? Joyful, faithful, responsive, supportive? Or are you critical and frustrated and angry and resistant? What kind of follower are you? We all follow. What kind of leader are you? I know you may not have a job that's got a title of leader, but you're leading because you're influencing. Are you leading with wisdom because the word of God is in you? Are you leading with influence because the spirit of God has changed your countenance? Are you leading with sympathy, understanding the situation of the people who are in your charge? Are you leading with insight, knowing not only how to do something, but when to do it? And most importantly, are you leading with humility? Or are you despotic, insecure, tyrannical, difficult, demanding? What kind of leader are you? I guess, what are you going to do about it? Can I ask you to make two commitments today? Here's the first one. Father, make me a better follower. Would you make me a better follower? Help me, Father, to trust those that you've put in authority over me so that I can empower them, and through this we can see you do incredible things. And Father, here's the second one. Make me a better leader. Because there are people who look to me and Paul says, be a follower as me as I also am of Christ. You know, Christianity is with one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. And how am I influencing those people? God, make me a better leader. So why don't we do that right now? Let's just make that our commitment. And listen, as we pray before the Father, this isn't just about being a better citizen. It's not about being a better employee. It's not about being a better church member. Here's, what it's, here's the core at the end of it. It's about providing a more powerful witness to this generation to follow Jesus. So here's our commitment. Father, I commit to you that I'm going to do what you call me to do to be a better follower. Please make me a better follower. Help me not to be so critical. Help me not to be so irritable and angry, and unsupportive. And Father, help me to see the good in my boss. Help me to see the good in my mate. Help me to see the good in my parents. And help me more than anything to realize that they keep watch over my soul. And by responding to them, I respond to you. Father, make us better leaders. Give us wisdom. Because God, this is a complicated world. So I pray your word would be in us. Make us influential. Change our countenance. Let the light of Christ shine through our face. Help us to be sympathetic and humble and insightful. Father, we thank you for this powerful word from Ecclesiastes that will build any organization I pray that you would apply it to our families first, then to our churches, then to our jobs, 
and ultimately, Father, to us as your citizens in this kingdom. Thank you for Jesus, our Lord. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.